Let us love one another, that with one accord we may confess. Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be. Thank you, beloved in Christ. Today we're given the gospel reading of the rich young ruler again. This man who encountered Christ, who had lived at least an outwardly virtuous life, wondering what else he lacked, and he was told by the Savior. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. At which he despondently walked away. And Christ said, it was, It's how difficult it is for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were kind of confounded by this. Then who can enter? Because surely. Everyone is rich in some way. And Christ gives a word of consolation, but one that requires incredible faith, but faith that's not beyond the ability of man to acquire. That with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I think we can all relate to the young man here, the man, the ruler, challenging our Savior in some way, but also asking him a question, I think, so as to seek an affirmation from him. Definitely someone whose life was defined by his possessions, Possibly his love of comfort because there is a type of comfort that comes from having what we do have. And it causes me to think to myself and ask the question like this young man who did not want to give up his possessions and follow Christ. First, what is it that we would be unwilling or to give up? Or what, would it, what is it that would be very difficult for us to give up if we were given such what seems to be an ultimatum when in fact it's a diagnosis which would lead to healing? We might say, Oh, you're just being manip manipulative. That's a power play, you know, trying to control my life. But you can't be bound to heaven and bound to earth simultaneously. 
And this is the message that our Savior was conveying to the men. You claim to want one thing, but you also de desire something else. The strength of your desire for one will eclipse the desire that you claim to have for the other. I think about the human struggle a lot because I dialogue with a lot of people who are in pain. And you know what? I'm in pain too. And I am constantly trying to discern what is it that's causing us to make the decisions that we make. And I am concerned that sometimes our decisions are governed by either the pursuit of pleasure and or the avoidance of pain. Is our life governed by the pursuit of pleasure or some comfort? Is it governed by the avoidance of pain? As you know, if you've had any exposure to the Christian life, you know that the Christian life, while a peace that passes understanding does envelop us, that we're also not trying to escape the experience of pain and suffering in this life. The acceptance of some level of discomfort allows us to break through the confines of the ego, of the me, myself, I, I want, I desire, I need. To break through the confines of our limited self-perception, to endure some comfort, and we might be bold as to say with faith, some discomfort for Christ's sake allows us to learn what true love is. There are many of us who could, like the man in today's gospel reading, say that there's much that we have not done. You heard. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false, false witness. There's a lot of do nots. And so we could spend a lot of time focusing on what we have not done. How many of you have heard someone say, it's not like I've killed anyone. I grew up hearing that a lot. I don't know if that's a generational thing. It's not like I killed anyone. So we can prove moral superiority by enumerating what we have not done. How bad we're not. Or on the converse, another form of corrupt self-perception. We can denigrate ourselves due to our moral inferiority because of the mistakes we've made. We can rip ourselves apart. and fall victim to despondency, that kind of hopelessness that can become all-consuming. 
We're capable of both of those things. But neither of these are appropriate. Even St. Paul says, there's a lot of wisdom in the scripture. St. Paul says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. So the man of today's gospel reading went to Christ as to one who is a a holder of the truth. You know, you could say a judge in a way. Because to encounter truth, reality is to be judged, to be revealed. And he ended up being judged in a way, revealed by the Lord. Oftentimes, I think we want a solution, but not a diagnosis. But the diagnosis must precede the therapy in order for the therapy to be appropriate to the condition. One who is morally corrupt would no doubt be instructed to observe the moral commandments. When free will is abused at the expense of others, it must be restrained before it can be reformed. So it comes in the form of a lot of do not, don't. Don't do harmful things. Don't do things that are damaging to yourself, to others, to God's creation. But for the one who is seemingly upright and generally a good person, I've heard this a lot too, I'm a pretty good person, as it's often said. What's to be done in that case? What progress can be made Perhaps he's simply to stand before the judge in order to receive an affirmation of his rectitude. You have a clean bill of health. You're as good as saved. See you in heaven. We would like to hear that. But as one spiritual father of our age has said, when man complacently thinks that he keeps the commandments because he has no problems with the police, he's already in the darkness of delusion. The darkness of delusion, how can it be? It may be helpful to provide a point of comparison. He also says this. He who has seen the divine light, the light of Christ, will confess that he has not even started striving to keep the commandments. Calling to mind the passage from Luke 17:10, when you've done all these things which you are commanded, say, "We are unprofitable servants. We've done that which was our duty to do." Therefore, only when he sees himself in the light will he be able to undertake unerring repentance, that is, repentance without falsehood toward God and towards himself. A radical kind of honesty before God and before ourselves. It's hard to be honest to God or anyone else before we're honest with ourselves. The precepts of God are a light upon the earth, showing the way of salvation. However, if man is to walk unhindered in this way, he needs the radiance of the light. The divine commandments reveal God's manner of life. How can created man who is made of clay approach the level of divine life. It's impossible unless God himself comes and takes his abode in him, walk in him and be united with him, for his strength is made perfect in weakness. 
often in order to do his work. God chooses the ailing and the weak, the poor and the humble, those who are not particularly gifted or educated. If they give him their hearts and surrender themselves to his holy hands, they become great and accomplish laudable works, admired by heaven and earth. It's evident that these works are not their own achievement, but the gift of God. In this way, God is glorified, while man humbles himself in gratitude still and still, and thus he finds the grace of redemption and salvation. What is it that you want? You know I'm always going back to this question. What is it that you want? Not what you claim to want, but what your actions prove you desire. Do you want affirmation and a clean bill of health? Do you want your moral culpability to be revealed so that you continue to wallow in self-pity? Or do you want to be laid bare so that the strength of God can be made perfect in your weakness? Religion, we might say, we know this very well. Religion often serves to affirm or to judge the person on the basis of his moral status or pious accomplishments. I think this is what religion is both famous and infamous for, making people feel either really good about themselves or really bad about themselves. But, to quote Father Alexander Schmemann, he says this, religion is needed where there is a wall of separation between God and man. But Christ, who is both God and man, has broken down the wall between man and God. He has inaugurated a new life, not a religion. So while the spiritually minded person is no doubt inclined toward forms of piety, of course, in living a moral life, he's more concerned with availing himself to the light of grace, this wonderful and terrible light that illumines but also purifies the one who would risk encountering it, rather than just claiming to know about it. The light of grace refines the conscience of man. It forewarns him of deviations and strengthens him in good works. Gradually, man becomes taught by God. He fears the slightest movement that may grieve the Spirit of God and listens with great attention to what the voice of grace whispers in his heart. He becomes committed to prayer, and prayer himself teaches him whether his petitions are pleasing or not, whether his weeping and lamentation are according to God, or whether traces of self-pity have crept in. If man prays and God gives more prayer, it means that this prayer is according to his good pleasure, and man must persevere. If prayer ceases, or if it is, its character is altered, and man feels that it denigrates into a morbid state, he should stop and ask himself if he's walking the right path. How does this apply to all of us? What lesson do we have to take away from today's gospel reading and from what's been said? 
I think we should all ask ourselves first, I have two. First and honestly, how do I approach God? So we have a man in today's gospel reading who approached God. And we all must approach God. You know, he travels the expanse of time and eternity to place himself before us. And we just have to move an inch or two. But how do we approach him? Am I seeking either affirmation or condemnation? If so, then I'm projecting upon him and not praying, not entering into an actual dialogue, not entering into an exchange of being and entering into a relationship with God. So how do I approach God? This is important to be, think about it when you go to prayer. Go to spend time with God. What's your disposition? What are you asking him in a way? When you present yourself. And next I think we should ask ourselves honestly. Am I willing to receive what's being spoken to me by him? How am I approaching God? And am I willing to receive what's being spoken to me by him? Am I willing to receive the diagnosis? And take neither offense in it. Or live in denial of it. Am I willing to receive the truth that's being spoken to me? Surely that diagnosis is for someone else. No, it's, it's for you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But we've been listening to what is being communicated. Excuse me. We have to listen to what is being communicated in order to hear what's being spoken to us by God. Have to listen in order to heal. I hear, it makes a lot of sense. And what we hear from God through the conscience, through the prayers, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, through the services of the church, through those who love us, what we hear, the revelation of truth, knocking on our heart constantly, always stretches us or reduces us. But it never leaves us the same unless we've remained impenetrable. Do you want to ask what it is that you lack and receive the answer that's under your purification, illumination, and union with your beautiful Savior? Then strive to pray ceaselessly from the depths of your heart to your Christ until it aches with longing for the truth. The pain that comes from longing for more, for holiness, for deeper prayer, this is a good one. The pain that comes from hearing the salvific words of our Savior, touching, mending, healing our wounds, this is good. The pain that comes from being dissatisfied with all that the world has to offer and therefore unwilling to walk away when we encounter the truth, but to remain and be transformed, dare I say transfigured by it. The pain that we're willing to endure for Christ's sake, 
especially the most difficult. The pain of longing for eternity while feeling terribly bound to this world. This is a good pain. Even a gift from God. Far better than encountering God and receiving shallow affirmations of either goodness or obvious imperfection is to live in the glorious tension of being a creature while yet longing for union with the Creator. Beloved ones in Christ, do not compromise or seek to escape living in this tension, this kind of anxiety that can serve as an impetus for the prayer of the heart. The words are simple, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. My Lord and my God, Lord, save me, for I'm perishing. Or just, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Recall, beloved ones, this most famous story from the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and said to him, Abba, as far as I can, I say my little office. I fast a little, I pray and meditate, I live in peace as far as I can, I purify my thoughts, what else can I do? The old man stood up and stretched out his hands toward heaven. His fingers became like ten lamps of fire, and he said to him, If you will, you can become all flame. And this is the spark of the flame that I see in you, in each of you. This is the one I feel in my bones as well. So let us stoke the fire of love for God and the painful desire for truth that emboldened by his rich bounty toward us, in joy and trembling, we who are grass may partake of fire and lo, a strange wonder, we will be inexplicably bedewed, even as of old the burning bush was not consumed. Now with thankful mind, with thankful heart, with thankfulness in all our members, our soul and our flesh, let us worship and magnify and glorify our God, who is blessed both now and unto the ages. Amen. Amen. Oh.